Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, y'all know what time it is. We are back at it yet again. Ooh, episode 97 of the Football Misfits, home of the Football Misfits. I am your host with the most, LB, aka Paper Fronto, aka My Rainy Black Bottom, aka Buck Nasty, aka El Pistolero. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> Club football is done and dusted, ladies and gentlemen, but. That does not stop the misfits from misfitting. And speaking of misfitting, I have Mr. Misfits with me. The one, the only, the real host with the mostest. Y'all may know him as Ronnie, and so do I. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What's good for the one time, my people? Stay strong. Be brave. And, of course, this would not be the football misfits without the man behind the data desk with the numbers, the ghouls, the facts. Spencer Reale on the ones and twos. Spencer Tino Perez, that's what they call him, I heard. Spencer Povich, whatever you want to call him. Sometimes I'll call him just Spence. Say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love, peace and love. As I said, club footy, the competitive season has been over. And uh, while I'm trying to not be depressed about it, there's been a lot of rumblings, a lot of things going on, but we'll get to that. There is, of course, international footy, the thing that I don't necessarily love. I don't hate it. And, you know, it just is what it is. And we had some of that at the beginning of this week, a bit more important, some World Cup qualifying final places and playoff spots and this, that, and the third. Where do you want to start? Some World Cup qualifiers, that's where we should begin. Ukraine and Scotland kicked off UEFA World Cup qualifying this week. Scotland were the -the on-the-field favorites heading into this game. And Ukraine, of course, were everyone's sentimental favorite for you know obvious reasons when the match kicked off it was just all ukraine you didn't have any scoring until later on in the first half with um yarmolenko and then one second half got on and popping ukraine was just running through scotland still um roman yaramchuk the benfica man he added ukraine's second they scored a third in stoppage time, but before that, Callum McGregor scored for Scotland to narrow it down by a goal. But at the end of the day, Ukraine were just the far superior side at Hampden Park. Scotland would have to wait for another World Cup appearance because it was not going to be this year. As Ukraine advanced to take on Wales in the Path A UEFA qualifying final. Before we get to the match today, thoughts on the Scotland match? I mean, you hit it on the head. Ukraine just seemed like they had something more important to play for, even though Scotland at home is a force to be reckoned with. But Ukraine had a whole lot more than just the game of footy on their backs, obviously, as we've seen over the past couple of months with the in you know the invasion of Ukraine via Russia. And you saw they just wanted it more, and Scotland could not deal with them in any way, shape, or form. Yarmolenko was on fire, uh, and although Scotland did have some chances. Uh, and on, on the break, they just couldn't get it together. They missed way too many important chances that would have really had them back in the game. I remember one John McGinn header that was basically an empty net, and he, you know, headed it wide. And those are those those fine margins is what you need to kind of get you over the top, especially when you're getting your ass whooped. And that's exactly what Ukraine did. They was whipping some ass uh, to give them that place in the, uh, the the last qualifying final spot. A fun match to watch, though, overall. And kudos to Scotland. Uh, a great run for them. That Euro run was also really incredible to see. We know how intense Hamden Park gets. They're just not going to be able to celebrate 
uh, a World Cup berth. Ukraine's opponent for the Pathé final and a ticket to the World Cup was Wales in Cardiff. And again, so much charged on this game, more emotional support for Ukraine. Wales, we're looking to end a 15 World Cup drought, 64 years of not making the World Cup, last making it in 1958. Ukraine started this game much like the last. Advantages to them, so many chances in their favor, but never stop, never settle. Man of the match by far, Wayne Hennessy. <laughs> what's what's the commercial say? Uh, what's your wild rabbit, Manny Pacquiao? Mister <laughs> 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 Big Wayne Hennessy. Yeah, he held it down for them. And Wales, unlike Scotland, said, "Hey, uh, I mean, I know you guys are going through a lot and have a whole lot behind you." in terms of support, but Gareth Bale and, and Wayne Hennessy and company said, we're going to get to this World Cup one way or another. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what they did. And the funny thing is uh, we spoke about Yarmolenko the match prior against Scotland and Yaremchuk and the likes like that. Uh, Yarmolenko would uh, score again in this match, but in his own net, unfortunately. And that was all That was all Wales needed. Now, for that goal, I will say, if Yarmolenko didn't get his head on it, I feel like the ball still would have gone in, because that's how much Potence Bale struck it with. Backless. And I honestly thought it just went straight in. It went over Yamalenko's head. But then like on the third replay, as he goes like off the side of his head, and unfortunately, in his own net. That was in the late in the first half. Second half, you could tell that the game was weighing on Ukraine. They were getting tired. There were mentions that some of the domestic players in Ukraine who were on this team hadn't played competitively since last December. Because December, then it's their winter break, and then the invasion happened. But they did still have chances, and to which Wayne Hennessy wasn't letting that shit pass by. Nine saves. Madman. And that's exactly it. It's, it. You gotta tip your hat off to Ukraine going through all that stuff and still making it to this final. As we said before many times, uh, clearly they were riding on something bigger than the game. And we, we've seen that propel teams forward. It's a completely different situation, but Denmark at the Euro last year. Uh, sometimes, you know, tragic, tragic events kind of give you a bit of a boost and a bit of a reason to kind of play. And sometimes that's more important than the, the team in front of you, especially when you guys are evenly matched. So big ups to them. But when, when you have a night like that, we saw uh, in the Champions League final, Courtois do something similar. When you have a keeper making nine plus saves or whatever the case may be in a match, that's the kind of moments or performances that win you a game, regardless of how badly the other side wants it or how badly the other side is attempting to do so. Wales got the performance of a lifetime out of uh, Wayne Hennessy and, and yeah, they're in the World Cup for the first time since 1958. You said, "Geez, 1958." Their last game in that World Cup was against Brazil. Pele torched them as at just 17 years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I echo what you said about Ukraine. Um, obviously, they were everyone's sentimental favorite. They were really good these past couple games, Ukraine. So I don't think they will drop off precipitously, but it was a good showing nonetheless. Um, as for Wales, they will be playing in Group B with England, Iran, and the United States. 
the USA will be their first opponent at the World Cup. <laughs> FIFA, by the way, posted a graphic with Gareth Bale's um, Wills Golf Madrid in that order. They said USA, Iran, England in that order. Their schedule. Oh, I, I, I thought FIFA was taking shots at Wales for a second. <laughs> like, they, like they would play <laughs> four offensive <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, I mean, as in like how the group will end. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, a very interesting group to, uh, to find themselves in. They get a chance to play England and obviously the USA and then Iran as well in there. So I, I'm excited for those matches. I'm excited to see Gareth Bale versus England uh, and, and see mm. if he can give them some hell. We know how he does against, in the, against Premier League players and, and in the Premier League, obviously this isn't that, but, um, and, and whether or not the U.S. can kind of hold off a man like Gareth Bale, because when he gets going and he's wearing the Wales colors, uh, like that shot we saw against the Ukraine, which anybody would have assumed that it was just a shot that he took and it went in because that's the type of stuff he does. And will the USA be able to handle that? I'm, I'm excited for this group. Group B just got a, just a bit more lively. It still is the geopolitics group. It would have been even more so with Ukraine in there, but it wasn't meant to be. USA, their first game at the World Cup, is going to be interesting because, like you said, whether the USA can contain them, they're also have to, you know, find solutions for other players such as Aaron Ramsey, even though that might be a bit of a stretch every now and again. Some other um, pieces in defense in their midfield, Davies, Ampadu, and if Wayne Hennessy has a game like he did today, who, by the way, he wasn't even supposed to start, allegedly. Well, thank God he did, right? <laughs> so for him to start out of the blue and pull out nine saves like that, like you said, Wills are going to make this group very entertaining. I'm going to put myself on the chopping block right away and make a bold prediction. Not super bold. Gareth Bale is going to score minimum one screamer against the U.S. I'm talking 2013 Bale, cutting on the left foot, top corner, uh, the heart celebration and all. USA is going to be like, who is this guy? Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, I would love that, actually. On opening night, that's amazing. No better time to do it. I agree. Speaking of Bale. So the rumor was if Ukraine were to win, and um, Wales would have been eliminated. His career would have just been over. Like he would have retired right there on the spot in Cardiff. Now that he's going to play in the World Cup, he should be shopping for a team to play for. Where do you think he'll end up? I've heard uh, reports of a couple teams. Obviously, Real Madrid will not be one of them. Spurs have been thrown into the conversation, although I don't think that that will work. Um, I've, I've heard rumors and reports that. He might make the move to Wales and play for Cardiff, which was his boyhood club, and just kind of let his career end in Wales. I'm, uh, I think I've read that he has said that in the past, that he would love to end his career there or play in Wales someday. So I could definitely see him going to Cardiff. He would obviously take a lot less money. Yeah, otherwise, he'd bankrupt the club. Um, but I think that's the kind of place where you do something like that. And <clears throat> similarly, we saw Iron Robin do the same thing. I think he went back to Grunt. Grundegheim, Grundeheim, I said that way wrong. <laughs> Grundeheim, Grundegheim, you know, something like that. But he did the same thing, you know, played. Gondaman, Ilkay, Gundawan, all that, same difference. Exactly. But, you know, so I, I feel like if he was going to take a pay cut, that'd be the place to do it. At least he'd have some sentimental reason for that. So I wouldn't be, I'd be, I'd be cool with seeing him play in Cardiff. I'm not sure. Have you guys heard anything about him maybe coming to the MLS? Now, that's what I was going to suggest. If he does come to the MLS, it would be good tune-up for match number one at the World Cup because some of the players in MLS are going to be on that USA World Cup squad. I see. There might not be that much of a difference from the league as a whole to the national team, 
So I don't know. Maybe that could be a solution. I have heard the Cardiff bit. That would be ideal, but he he would have to, you know, not get paid out the ass like he is, like he was at Madrid. Yeah. As Spencer yeah. says, stay away from the MLS. <laughs> oh man, where? But sure enough, one thing we know for sure: wherever there's a golf course, it'll be somewhere nearby there. So. Um, there, uh, there's some beautiful golf courses in Doha, allegedly. Interesting, and, and they got money out the ass. Do they ever? Yeah, man. But that that's it. That's um for bail. Speaking of. England, we mentioned them a couple of minutes ago. They're in Group B with Wales. We did have a final in London, to be exact, but uh, there was no England in sight. This was a match between European champions, Italy, who have since fallen off the face of the earth, and South American <laughs> champions, <laughs> South American champion, Roberto Baggio, I'm talking to you, um, and South American <laughs> champions, <laughs> and South American champions, Argentina. Now, admittedly, I missed this match. Ronnie, do you have any takeaways? My favorite goal of the match was their second. Lautaro's goal is the first. But the second goal, I mean, Martinez just, I don't know if it was a goal kick or if he just sent it, like, made the save and just sent the ball out. I don't remember that bit exactly. But he sends it all the way out. It finds Lautaro, and he makes a run. And then right to his right is Di Maria. Slots it off to him in the box, and boom, one touch back of the net. Beautiful execution from end to end. That was one of the most beautiful goals I've seen from Argentina. And then Paulo Dybala scored Argentina's third goal after coming on just before the end of the 90. So Argentina wins the finalissima, second consecutive finalissima, if we're dating it back to like the 1990s when they last had this Cup of Champions. Italy, they've always been known for defending, but their defending was shite. They've definitely got a lot older. Chiellini's swan song, actually, in this game, before he makes the trip to MLS, LAFC, allegedly. Mancini, I still feel like he's the guy to lead them through this rough patch, but they just got to get younger. They got to get healthier, too. Again, Chiesa is still gone, so he's not an option in the attack. Spinazzola is just coming back from injury. We were talking about he played the conference league, these times will pass, but at the end of the day, you know, Argentina winners of the finalissima. What do you think of Italy, Elvi? Yeah, Italy, I mean, you hit it on the head with the uh, Chiellini going to L.A. That was it for their defense right there, curtains. Uh, their big uh, stalwart in the defense there. He's hanging it up to go to the USA. That's not a marker for how old they've gotten. Uh, I don't know what it is. But, yeah, the, the, for me, the Mancini project, how high it went and just how quickly it came crashing down is is crazy to me. I mean, it hasn't been that long since they lifted the Euro title, but things look all over the place with them. And not much has changed aside from the fact that, as you mentioned, Chiesa is injured. And he really was their superhero when they didn't play well. But I don't know if it's a case of teams kind of figuring out, figuring them out after the Euro, or them just kind of not playing up to the same standards. And either way, I think it's a bad sign for Mancini. And I think I said this a while ago, but if I'm him, they didn't make the World Cup. He could stick around, but he could also make that return to club football. Mancini, Mancini, this is the hottest take of all time. Mancini to Newcastle. I mean, just make it happen, bro. You could get paid. You could make something happen. Club football, again. But that's neither here nor there. I think, yeah, things look bleak uh, for Italy. And this match was kind of a bigger indicator of that. And on the other side of the same coin, Argentina, I mean, you mentioned the goal they scored, a wonderful team goal. They have been, I mean, basically all last year and the year before, they've been really, really impressive. And 
they've basically hit their stride at the best time. I wonder if they can keep that up during the World Cup, but that is a team I wouldn't want to play against. No, I would not at all. They've not taken the foot off the guys. Their unbeaten run is like at 30. 32. 32, which includes their win against Estonia today. Lionel Messi scoring five out the ass. Well, 33 now, I think, right? It was 32 at the time? I believe it was 32 as of uh, yeah, this morning. So if it was 32 at the time, that means it's 33 now. Yeah, I think so. I could be either way, that. they're hot. Yes, absolutely. They, they're a favorite to win the World Cup, and they're probably not everyone's favorite because of how 2018 went and how much of a shit show that World Cup went. Yeah, Barely but, making it out the group stage and just disappointing against everybody. And if we, if we take a look real quick, how most of the teams at the 2018 World Cup have kind of progressed in the last four years, I feel like not many teams have gotten much better. A lot of teams have been kind of coasting. If I do like Belgium, for an example, they seem to be on the same level as, they, as they've always been. Granted, it's a very high level, and some of their players continue to get a bit older. But Argentina, since uh, Croatia gave them ass-whooping upon ass-whooping, and France did the same, they've built up, and they've gotten better. And every position from the defense, uh, I mean, whether it be from the goalkeeper, the key to the team, Emmy Martinez, I mean, to the defense, Christian Romero, you know, a bunch of rising stars. Their midfield is, you know, a mix of young and experienced and all these players, regardless of how they play on the club level, despite the fact that they're on really big clubs and on the world stage, they're recognized everywhere they go. They're highly rated. Regardless of how they perform for the club, when they play for Argentina, they are out of this world. And it's just giving me signs of how Italy was during the Euro. But it's just Argentina has done this for a longer streak. Plus, they have Lionel Messi. And he seems to be the most comfortable in this Argentina system. And that's something that I can't necessarily say that's been the case in past uh, international competitions. It definitely hasn't, because going back to 2016, when they lost Copa America Centenario here, a match where I actually saw in person, humble brag, um, he literally retired as soon as Chile lifted the trophy. He was like, yo, I can't do this shit no more. Tata Martino was a trash manager. My players are trash. Higuain's always fat. I can't do this no more. <laughs> he was fat. <laughs> But you also got to think about it, too. 2014, that World Cup, they made it to the final. If Di Maria were healthy, they might have won that World Cup, too. So, I mean, there was margins in that 2014 World Cup. I agree with you. Exactly. Um, so, in 2018, they were just, for a team to make it out the group stage, they were still a train wreck. They had that memorable game against Nigeria. But other than that, they were pretty much poo. They just looked like they were wobbling, like they were just getting through things. They didn't look like a team that you that was formidable. They kind of looked like they were just getting things. They were getting there by the skin of the teeth. They weren't a strong, solid team that you could trust, could go deep, and Facts. could you know face adversity. And I kind of got to give credit to Leonel Scaloni as well because he played with Messi at one point. He knows his Argentina system from top to bottom. Of course, he's going to want the best out of Argentina, and he's gotten the best out of them. Two trophies since his tenure began, and they are, for me, heavy favorites for a third the World Cup this winter. So right now, Argentina are just flying. And I believe it's at this time where we go to the resident Argentina slash Messi hater, Spencer, at the data desk, to give us his opinion. Spencer. I can't hate, though. I said I was going to throw some hate. I can't throw some hate. He's just too good in that messy. Now, one thing you might hate on, and I don't know if you might hate on this too, OV, but um, the finalissima. 
which is basically a de facto super cup between Copa America and the Euros. Are we going to throw that into a major trophy category? I mean, by records, it is. But by opinion, is it? <laughs> I wanted to hate on it and just say this is some old-ass tradition that they're just trying to bring back. I think the last one was in 93, and the last one before that was 1985. Are those the only ones ever to, to be played? I could be wrong. This but... is the third finalissima. Yes. So I wanted to hit on and say this is some outdated shit where South America, where football is highly recognized, Europe, where football is highly recognized, and making this exclusive-ass cup for these two to play in, in, in a one-off match, I wanted to call it some old bullshit. But thinking about it, this is a rare-ass achievement. <laughs> I mean, it's only ever happened three times. And, and Argentina's won twice. Argentina's got yeah, two of them things. Only ever happened three times. Lord knows when the next one is, because if you look at the, the dates, we got 85, 93, no rhyme or reason, and then 2022. Here's my theory as to why there was that long-ass gap between 93 and 22. Confederations Cup. Uh, I mean, you might be on to something there. Because the Confederations Cup, we'd consider a major trophy. And that featured all of the champions. The Euro champion, Copa America, AFCON, Gold Cup, everybody. So, and the defending world champion. So they would just battle it out for that. And they've since stopped the Confederations Cup, I believe. We haven't seen it be played in Yes, Russia 2017 was the last one. Yeah. Um, We would have had it last year if, you know... They kept it, but they said that that Russia edition was the last one. But I feel like they brought this back because there's no Confederations Cup and, you know, recognize the achievements of Europe and South America, even though I always liked the Confederations Cup. Make it exclusive to, like, just the champions and then have them duke it out. Unlike Roberto Baggio saying, oh, just throw them in the World Cup. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the Confederations Cup. It actually, it was, it was a diet World Cup, I mean, but it was... There you go. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable in that you would get a quick couple of weeks of, I mean, depending on how the players felt about it, when there's a trophy involved, a good, some good high-octane football. And in history, just notably, there's been really good matches in the Confederations Cup that we've seen in history. That, So I don't hate on it at all. This, on the other hand, was you know very one-off. Like, like you said, I mean, you might be onto something with that theory, but no rhyme and reason. But despite the fact that it happens once in every God knows when, I mean, that kind of adds to the rarity of it. It's like, who's to say this will happen in the next year or, or the next 15 years? And Argentina will hold the title or defending champs back to back for God knows how long. So I wanted to hate on it. But, hey, we got a decent match from two top sides or one that's cr- crumbling. Um, but two top sides. <laughs> <laughs> and overall, I mean, I, I, I'm not mad at it. And they're playing for a cup, which makes things just all the more interesting. Dispenser. A cup's mad nice. I didn't know it was that nice. Now I got to look at it. Hold on a second. Wait a second. That's all I got to say on it. <laughs> this cup is mad nice. Damn. Right? It's beautiful. Uh, I'm surprised you see it. The, it is the really, match is on Wednesday, I think. It is really pretty, but I mean, ultimately, is it a major cup? No. Sorry. Um, is it a rare match? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, not, not not a major cup. Similar to the Nations League, it, will, it, it may get to that point at some point, but they're still running it and can get into that if you like. Let's get into that right now. Do you want to talk matches themselves or the fact that they're playing four matches in like a week and a half? I mean, the amount of matches they're playing, obviously, we spoke about this off the pod, the fact that uh, this has been the weirdest World Cup cycle in living memory for us. Of course, 
a thing called COVID-19 did really change the football world and the fact that the World Cup is in uh, Qatar, which is in the winter instead of the summer, also made things a little interesting. But four matches in basically less than, what, 15 days is nuts. See, now, when we were talking about the Spencer and I, I didn't realize that it was a four-match window in, like, two weeks. In terms of, like, the Super League and what youth it serves, I've always said that, yes, it's good, but it's not good when you're having all these matches bunched up right at the end of the season when the next season starts even earlier than ever because the World Cup is in November. That is my pushback on this. Yeah, I respect that. Uh, one thing I would say, I, I, I love to base the conversation around whether or not it's a major trophy or not around how the players seem to play and the level of intensity in the competition. And one thing I will say about at least the Nations League, I can't speak for the Finalissima, but the Nations League, it felt like they were they were playing for something. And maybe that could be because it's been a couple years in now with France being the defending champions and then Portugal before them. Um, it kind of feels like uh, something that the players want to add to their trophy cabinet despite the you know the rush of matches like you said which i agree with is kind of nuts um, yeah i mentioned that ronaldo when portugal won it in 2019 they took it seriously not just the finals but the whole run-up of games they took it seriously france when they won the last edition last year same thing and they were playing with a chip on their shoulder they were the defending world cup champions they crashed out of the Euro, so they needed to redeem that, and they used the Nations League to do it. Right. Multiple factors into why the Nations League itself is becoming uh, a mainstay and something that's worth watching, and the quality of competition is all there. This past week, I watched Spain versus Portugal, and that was a hell of a match. And I mean, same, it could be... Same. I saw that match, too. And I was watching today Czech Republic and Spain, which was another great match. Gavi, damn near lighting it up at just 17, but you were making a point. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, it could be one of two things. Either one, obviously, Luis Enrique, who runs six marathons in six days, doesn't give a shit about four matches in 10 days or whatever. So Spain <laughs> might be just ready for that. Or, you know, they were taking them seriously. And Portugal were slow to start, but came back at the end. And it was just some. It just felt like a good quality international match, like a diet Euro. Not quite a diet World Cup, but it felt like a diet Euro. And I can appreciate that for the fact that, as someone who doesn't necessarily think or feel highly about the international break itself, whether it be a friendly or this, that, and the third, this is adding some extra juice to these matches. They're taking it pretty seriously, and the competition is enjoyable. It's worth watching. I don't feel like they're just kind of there just to be there. Let's stick on Portugal for a bit. Go ahead. That game against Spain, Ronaldo didn't start. And when Italy played Germany, it was a brand new 11, with the exception of Donnarumma. So the Nations League could also, as intense as it can be, can be used to experiment. Like, see which players you're feeling, see which players you might not want to bring back onto the squad. Um, in Portugal's case in particular, their goal scorer, Ricardo Horta, made his second appearance ever for the national team. And he made his first appearance in 2014, and he scored. So that's what the Nations League could do in a sense. And we've seen it in the Euros and we've seen it in the World Cup. The Nations League is a vehicle to give teams an extra boost to qualify for these tournaments. Of course, it's a money grab. But if we're looking at it from that perspective, it makes sense. I enjoy it. And it rids you from friendlies against Montenegro, 
or Andorra or right. Estonia. All no disrespect to them, but yeah. And it does have a, some sort of system of relegation slash qualification, right? You depending on how you finish, um, you move into like the League B, League A, and things like that. And yes, so sir. it adds more incentive for teams that are minnows to kind of try to get into that or crack into that League A where everybody's watching and you have the highest level of competition. So that makes things even more interesting, which I can appreciate. And the, I think the name of the game in the business of footy and, you know, on a fan side, just watching and analyzing footy is, all right, I know it's always going to be a money grab, but give me an incentive to, for it to be like, don't make me feel like I know it's a money grab. Let me enjoy it, you know? And I think the Nations League is an example of, uh, UEFA kind of doing that to a T. It's working, in my opinion, at the moment, and I think it'll get more interesting as it goes on. This week, we saw it get interesting. Austria, under new head coach Ralf Ragnick, just throttling Croatia. And Denmark upsetting friends. Yeah, Denmark with the big W. They, folks got to still watch out for them, and I think you were, were heavy on that, as was our boy Sebastian from Campfire Football, I think. And yeah, folks got to watch out for Denmark, man. They, they are coming out for blood. You got to treat them with respect. Yeah, that Denmark. Euro run was not a fluke. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I, I felt differently until I heard their coach speak on an interview on the Football uh, Daily, and I'm like, this guy is a killer. <laughs> He's a killer. <laughs> so, yeah, they're not a team you should take lightly, and France has a habit of doing that, I think. Cracking out in an opportune time, but it's against Denmark a team who they're going to face in the World Cup. A good practice run for them, albeit they lost. You're getting the experience. You're knowing how they're going to play. And you played Denmark a shit ton of times between the last World Cup and now. So, yeah, can never sleep on Denmark. We mentioned Spain and Portugal already. England lost to Hungary. Ooh, got him. <laughs> I'll speak on more on the fan aspect during that time. There was that, and then Belgium completely shot the bet against the Netherlands. Yeah, they, they, they are going to have to get it together and fast. They're still so highly rated in the world rankings. I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know why either. They're like, what, two behind Brazil? Yeah, but, I mean, they, they do have the ability to turn it on at any moment. They just haven't been doing that. They've seemed really stagnant. Um, maybe they're just trying to conserve energy for the World Cup because they have to because, like you said, they're older or getting older um but netherlands another rising star another rising team that you want to watch out for i, I don't want to run in circles but you, i think you hit it on the head perfectly this is a great chance for pre-world cup teams to figure out what works best for them and just really experiment facts and i think if they're smart these managers that's what they would do and the netherlands are no strangers to the nation's league now to rehash it four matches in one window is still wild crazy that shouldn't hinder from the overall purpose of the nation's league i do want to go to um africa for a minute because while there's nation's league here there's afcon qualifiers admittedly i only saw one afcon qualifying match that was senegal and benin sadio mane had himself a historic match becoming Senegal's all-time scorer with a hat-trick. That was also the first ever hat-trick in Senegalese football history, allegedly. It would be him to do that. Sadio Mane is that guy. 3-1 winners are Senegal. And um, I guess this leads us into, unless you have something to say about this match, I think this would lead us right into summer transfers. 
On to the summer transfers. It is summertime. Woo. Here comes the sun. I wanted to talk on Tony Omani for a bit. Liverpool shared photos of their players on international duty. Not Sadio. He might really be out out of Liverpool and um on to Bayern Munich is the is the word on the street. Does this happen? Does Liverpool find a way to keep him? And if he does go, I brought this up in the group chat. I want to put it out in the open. Is a swap with him and Lewandowski ideal? Liverpool probably won't do it because they're weird with transfers now. Well, not weird with transfers. They're very strategic. So uh, they only bring in players for like excessive money if they're on the right side of 26. So it's usually 26 or right before. If a player is like older, I find it hard to believe. I think Thiago is the oldest player like they brought in most recently in like the, the FSG era with like um, the people running the show. And I think Thiago was 29, 30 when he came. And that was like a big thing, unless the player's already there. I mean, you look at Wijnaldum, who they didn't want to pay. He was 31 or like 30. Jordan Henderson took a while to get paid. And he's club captain. Kind of the same thing that's happening now. With, well, different because I believe Salah wants more money. But I find it hard to believe because if you bring in Lewandowski, he's not going to ask for anything less than close to what he was getting at Bayern unless he takes a dramatic pay cut. And then to do that, why didn't you just pay Sadio and Salah when they were there instead of paying that money for Lewandowski? Who, by the way, is, I think is 34, 35, and would be his first time in the Prem, which I'm sure he would adjust, but they just might be asking too much of a player at that age to come in and then expect the same goal output that he's been doing for so long in Bayern. So I don't know. I took a little bit of a deep dive, but I've been I've been listening on this stuff from my Liverpool support <laughs> support podcast. Spencer hit on head. I actually have nothing to say about that. He basically covered every point on that angle. The only thing I will add is that I think Lewandowski has been heavily linked with Barcelona. And I think that's gonna happen, which is also yeah, that I see. That I see happening. Seems like the move, but Javier Tebas was like, yo, y'all don't have money to do this. What are you talking about? I was going to say, can they afford him? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, they got to ship off mad heads if, they, if Lewandowski is going to go there. De Jong seems to be the hot commodity. Now. They just got to do some restructuring. It sounds like Barcelona runs like a, an NFL team close to the cap. You just got to restructure, baby. Oh, love a good restructure. That's a fact. But we could talk about what or how or why Lewandowski might go to Barcelona and who's making the decisions and Bayern front office this. We got to talk about allegedly Mr. Front Office himself. You thought LeBron James was the GM. Apparently, we got a new new GM in town in Paris, and his name is Kylian Mbappe. Allegedly, this could all be bullshit. According to him, from the horse's mouth, he said lies with a big X emoji. Um, uh, Kylian... the, the GM, the sporting director, the president, the manager. The, he's a man of many hats, allegedly, Kylian Mbappe. The matchmaker or ma- lack thereof. <laughs> he thinks we can date, apparently. <laughs> Boy, the hit list that he allegedly put out and he since this Mrs. Fake, nuts. Yo, it was like 50 names. I thought I saw my name on there. I said, I don't even know you, man. <laughs> they called it the PSG 14. <laughs> As a person who's been on one's hit list, I can tell you that depending on whose hit list it is, I couldn't care less. Well, you beefing with Kylian Mbappe? No, Spencer knows the story about that one night. 
Uh, we were sitting in the man's office at 10 p.m. at night hearing some disgruntled ass motherfucker talking about, oh, why well, isn't I people? But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> in fact, it was wild. Um, But I'm not going to lie, this one player, Thilo Carehurt, I've never heard of the guy. I've seen him a couple times in the beginning of this past season. That's you more than I like. I think he's, I think he's light skinned, but that's more than I could say for Levan Kurzawa, who I was sure was probably playing in Miami or China or something at this point. He's still <laughs> on PSG. <laughs> what the hell? When I saw Julian Draxler, the first thing I thought of was Mito telling Bic, "Yo, he been trash, bro." <laughs> I've never seen a fall off bigger than that. I'm lying to you, because, yo, this is a bunch of PSG players that are kind of just there taking up money. Because then none of them get match time. They low-key are. Under Herrera's on this list. Well, let me correct myself. Mono. Neymar. Neymar is the big fish on the list. That's, that's what was killing me. <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought killing was his man's. Yeah, man. I guess the root of the question is, do y'all think if this I is If I were Bobby, I would want Neymar out, too, by the way. That's just me saying it. But. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, we know that. We know why. But And I would definitely but, want Mauro Icardi out of the team, too. He should have been gone. This is crazy. This list is nuts. But and the coaches on there too. That's the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> you can get it too, about Pochettino. But but jokes aside, though, what do you guys think? You guys believe this? Is it true or fake? What do you guys think? The fact that this rumor was allowed to circulate and it's semi-believable shows you the type of clout Mbappe has at PSG. It'd be real funny <laughs> if all fourteen people disappear. Tell you that right off the roster. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think all of these 14 names are going to go, but like I said, the fact that this was even allowed to be a thing and it'd be somewhat believable, just show you how crazy it is. This would have never happened at Real Madrid, at least not by Mbappe. For Fiorentino, maybe. Spencer Tino, sure. Giuliano, no. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, PSG, a, a club that's continuing to grow with maybe more money than it knows how to handle. Um and if this is true, which I don't believe it is, I think this is bullshit. I think that there uh, are some players maybe that Mbappe maybe isn't fucking with, um, maybe has some opinions on. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. Messi's not on this list. Messi's the big homie. And that was the one that, on um, if you just read the media and, you know, the internet, it seemed like Messi was going to be taking Mbappe's shine and he was the big man on campus and he's not on there, but maybe that's the, the clout of being one of the goats, he he saw the list and said, "Yo, take me off, take me off there, <laughs> keep my name <laughs> out your mouth." Um, but yeah, I I think obviously he is a player that they just committed a huge fortune to. He's there for the foreseeable future for now, and they kept him. And I believe that his opinion matters a lot. Now, fourteen players is hilarious, and the coach. I'm sorry, but I and they let you want to bring in Jose Mourinho. Yeah, the rumors that Jose Mourinho and Luis Capos as the director of football, which, I mean, I, I think Jose Mourinho actually might be able to do something with PSG with what they don't have, what they want, and that's in Europe. But with the team that's there, I don't know, maybe not. But it'd be an interesting situation, and it, it, it's funny that it kind of fits in that way. But anywho. Spence, what about your thoughts on the whole Mbappe staying bit? Well, um, you're the Madrid fan. What do you think? Uh, I think I touched on it a little bit, like when it was happening. When I was like, um, not when it was happening, like when they had made the the offer that PSG was never going to accept. And I think we talked a little bit about why Madrid make the offer, and I was just like, 
you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And then Yo. he ends up staying. But, um, I listened back I mean, to that. They were never going to sell him. Exactly that. Yeah, they were never going to sell him in this, uh, in what was it January anyway? Because with the World Cup coming up, the biggest, probably the most, one of the most recognizable young stars on the face of the planet, you can, you, you're not going to let him leave PSG. So that we should have probably paid more attention to that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's over now, so not much we can do about it. I mean, Madrid just won the Champions League, so Mbappe, yeah. I mean, the trophy he wants to win, they just won. I'll tell you I what, mean, Spencer. That's what I think. From what I saw, I think I saw a photo of Spencer at the Champions League final. He was holding up a PSG jersey. It said Mbappe. The number was zero, and then underneath that, it said Champions League. I don't know <laughs> if you guys saw that, but I think it was Spencer. That's not me. That's not me. See Florentino quote. He's like, <laughs> Mbappe is behind us. Yeah, he said, I just want to tell me, he's like, I don't give a fuck about no Mbappe. <laughs> I believe that's what Spencer Tino told us as well the other day. I cannot um, confirm or deny that. Cannot confirm or deny that. Oh, wow. Any other burning transfers on the menu that you guys have been thinking about and seeing? I do want to get your thoughts on Ivan Perisic. Ha oh, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. The fact that they get this guy who, in my opinion, is a, is a cold-blooded killer. Um, uh, sorry, Ronnie, uh, in advance, but you, you saw how, how he played in the Coppa Italia final. He's a big game player. Uh, he never gets tired. He's two-footed. He's sure he's 33, but he's experienced. And so I appreciate that. He's a, he's a true blue winner. The guy goes on loan and wins the Champions League. Like, you feel me? So I, I appreciate the – it's on a free transfer, and he's not on a whole lot of money a week. So it makes sense on all sides. And this is someone who has that proven winner's mentality and, and has the talent. to. So I love it. I think it was a perfect move. I think Kante and Paratici absolutely hit it on the head. Uh, that's what we need to kind of build up and move forward. Daniel Levy, you're really getting back in my good graces, fam. Look at you. As things are getting chippy in Chicago between Mexico and Ecuador, um, if there's nothing else to really discuss, is it that time? Hell yeah, it's that time. BS of the week. It don't stop in the summertime just because club football is done. There's still things <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> what you thought was going to stop? Let's go. Drop that intro. Nobody's doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it, if it's all bullshit stories, what is it? Most of the times it's, uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> we don't never stop. Can I go first? Because we talk about Spurs in the Premier League and I got something to say. PFA, FWA, Fuck out my face. You guys don't watch the game. You just pick the biggest name. That's what you do. To give the year-end awards to. Come on. Come on, man. Let's let's not do this. Young Men's Son. Golden Boot winner. Shared it with Mo Salah. But sorry, Mo. You had four penalties. It's Young Men's Son this season. Uh, top goal scorer in a topsy-turvy season with Spurs. A season where they didn't have a preseason because they were looking for 17 different managers. They sacked their manager in November. <laughs> and guess who was scoring all the way through? Youngman's son. 
Has he, did he take a penalty? No, that's Harry Kane's job. He got 23 of them things. Kept his first team in when it looked bleak. Antonio Conte comes in. Sure, was he inconsistent here and there? Yes, absolutely. But what did he do even when, his, when he had a bad game? He did what good players do, what great players can do. Score. He's two-footed. He's done it all. 23 goals. And he's not even on any short list? Damn. Kevin DeBron, I get it. I mean, the names that were, were left out of the shortlist, I think, just goes to show the disrespect that they show a bunch of players that don't have the big name in the big image. We all know these writers' awards and yada yada yas are kind of big bullshit, but we deal with them every year. But to Levi Hillman's son, the Golden Boot winner this season, the Champions League place for him, no trophies, it's cool. And put Cristiano Ronaldo on the shortlist, he had a wonderful season. He's 37, I get it. He led this Man United team, which were even more piss pole than Spurs. He also did score like six, five goals against Spurs in, on aggregate this season. <laughs> but the disrespect, I think, in my opinion, is crazy. Harry Kane was on that list. Harry Kane finished third in the Golden Boot race behind Son and Salah. He had a terrible start to the season. Unbelievably terrible start to the season. Now, that's a big achievement for him to score 18 in the Prem with that poor start. We know the things that Harry Kane is capable of. Well, give it to Youngman's son. Put him on the nomination. I'm not saying you got to give him the award. But y'all just disrespected me and and, and Youngman's son. There's many theories. I know Ronnie's saying famously, maybe it's because he's Korean. He's not getting no love. They disrespected South Korea. I need the BTS Army to go to the Premier League now. Oh, you got it, Jim. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Don't release the Kraken, fam. <laughs> Even I wouldn't go that far, right? We just pushed the button, but... Yeah, nah, I mean, but it's it, it disrespect. Like, a nomination for the shortlist would have been applicable. Got Harry Kane the hell out of that list. I mean, yeah, fam. I, I I wouldn't even matter if Harry Kane dropped out of it. Kevin DeBron is probably going to win it, and he's had a pretty good season. They won the league, obviously, but he's had his moments where he was, you know, inconsistent or played eh. I mean, but I can't really take away from his game, and Virgil van Dijk a stale war in the Liverpool defense. Uh, you know, a huge player. We know his impact when he's not there. Just look at last season. But Sun's got to be in there. Add an extra man to that shortlist if you have to. Put him in there, and y'all didn't do it. PS of the Week, PFA, Player of the Year, Awards, whoever chooses them things, whether it's the players or the writers, the FWA, same thing. Y'all dissed. That's my BS of the Week. Ronnie, what you got? All right, we're going to Europa. Um, I have a couple. Um, you mentioned England lost to Hungary. Reese James... Allowed Reese James conceded a penalty, which was spotted in by Dominic Slobosai. This match was supposed to be behind closed doors because of repeated racist behavior against England last year in World Cup qualifying, and you know their, you know, abhorrent behavior during the Euros. But the Hungarian FA found a bit of a finesse in UEFA's disciplinary regulations under Article 73 of said rules. Children up to the age of 14 from schools and or football academies can be invited to a game free of charge provided they are accompanied by an adult. That means they found a loophole into the no spectators allowed policy and brought on about a good 3,000 kids at the Puskas Arena. That is what you call a finesse. Quite the finesse. It's funny, England are due to be playing a game behind closed doors as well because of all the fan trouble at Wembley. Will they take this approach? We shall see. 
But as is tradition when it comes to English teams playing in European competition or in competition period, there is the taking of the knee against racial injustice. Those little ass kids booed the knee as if they got instructions from the adults that went to the game or like before they went, yo, when they take that knee, you boo. We Hungarian, you boo that shit. You little bastards. <laughs> Which is crazy. Them booing the knee is exactly why they banned fans from going to games in the first place, other than throwing drinks that I think it was Jack Grealish or Raheem Sterling. But still, they finessed the rules and they just continue to do fuck shit. Sticking with Europe, here in the States, ESPN no longer is the main broadcaster for these Nations Leagues and upcoming qualifiers. That responsibility is now Fox Sports and allegedly Football TV. Their coverage is just complete shit. I don't like it. Who takes a commercial break as soon as the anthems are done pregame? Who does that? Like, fam, I don't want to see a GMC commercial. Like, I'm trying to watch the game. Right, don't sneak a GMC commercial in 30 seconds. The match is about to start. Not even a picture-in-picture, just straight commercial. And then I was watching the Czech Republic-Spain game today. It was on Fox Sports 2. There was no halftime show. There was no halftime report. Like, you're not going to give me analysis from the first half? You're not going to show me a whip around of all the other games that happened today? You're going to show me highlights of old-ass USA-Mexico games in the Gold Cup? You're going to show me the 2020 MLS Cup? I don't want that. I want a, a report and an analysis. LV, you mentioned that ESPN sometimes they don't have a halftime report for some of their matches. But and sometimes they have the international feed and they'll do their halftime bit. At but least I, give me that. Yeah, I, I hate the, the half-assed approach. If you're going to pay all this money, do the job. NBC does it wonderfully with the Premier League. ESPN sometimes will do mostly a good job, as you mentioned. But it's been a big gripe for me and... Uh, friend of the show and uh my brother the gentrified gooner y'all just don't take it seriously why are you spending this money if you're not going to take it seriously and the fact that games are on fubo tv that's another streaming service i have to pay for i don't think i want to do that and, <laughs> and um lastly um uh, i don't know about you guys but this one hit my core deep down like my feels um, it was long rumored during the week, and it was confirmed just before the weekend, that, um, oh, this is really hard, man. Shakira and Gerard Piquet split. Goddamn. Apparently, Piquet was a dog, and that beautiful partnership, because they never married. Maybe this is why Shakira had her reservations, but they never married. Um, this long partnership dating back to 2010 at that one World Cup in South Africa has come to an end 12 years later. Um, if the rumors are true that PK was being a dog, that PK was cheating, he is scum. He is a degenerate. He would be a... Her hips don't lie, but he does uh, jokes or things like that. You know? Now, 
People Magazine like broke this down, and apparently Shakira in one of her new songs alluded to it. It's called Te Felicito, and is with Raúl Alejandro. Um, the specific lyric goes, "For completing you, I broke into pieces. They warned me, but I didn't pay attention. I realized that yours is false." It was the drop that overflowed the glass. Don't tell me you're sorry, that seems sincere, but I know you well and I know you lie. If in fact, that lyric, those lyrics alluded to what BK did, yeah, European you're, you're musicians generally are gonna reveal how they feel through their music. And I have no reason why Shakira would lie about it. Um, and, and this isn't even just the fact that it's Shakira, Fam, you don't gotta be a dog about it. You don't gotta be like this. You don't, you don't gotta be human trash. But it makes it all the more worse that it was Shakira. Oh, and by the way, um, rumors about PK cheating on her with Gavi's mom, wild as shit. I don't believe that at all. I read, I think that, I read it from a couple places. I can't confirm and say that it is true, but I think it's fake. Yeah, I don't believe it. That's all I'm really gonna say on this matter. Shakira did that she wanted privacy and I kind of violated it for even talking about this. But I have to, I have to talk about it because it's Shakira is one of my favorites. It's one of our favorites. And PK, I don't know why, but I thought of um, the World Cup in 2018 against Portugal where dumbass committed that stupid ass foul that allowed Ronaldo to score that curler off the free kick to make it 3-3. With a hat trick too, I think, right? I believe it was a Ronaldo hat trick, but I just remember that goal vividly. More so now. He lost um he lost the league, he lost Messi, and now he lost Shakira is how the meme goes. BS of the week to um to this situation. And if it's true, PK. BS of the week to him as well. Um So yeah, that'll do it. Spencer, um the floor is yours. Shoutouts, corrections, Tony Rally, all up to you. Nah, I don't got anything today. <laughs> that means we're on point. And that being said, Ronnie, before I make it any sort of mistake that Spencer will need to correct, you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? I will say before we do cut this episode, um, Honduras, they won their first Nations League match against Curacao, one nothing. Um, I haven't seen a Honduras win in a long ass time. Let's go. So I'm happy for that. Did Ghana win this international break, Spence? Did they win a game? Yeah, mm-hmm. they beat Madagascar on the first hey. weekend. I guess that was this week or last week, kinda. Whatever we thought. Shouts to our countries for getting the job done. <laughs> this has been episode 97 of the Football Misfits Podcast. We thank you all for listening and getting involved and interacting with us. Episode 98 is right around the corner. For Spencer and LV, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Stay strong, be brave. Don't forget the hips don't lie. Adios, everyone. Woo! I'm <laughs> a